Welcome to the Body Positivity Podcast with Diana and Arliss. And we have an amazing guest today. Dr. Stephen James is a peace, culture, and human flourishing consultant. As a peace and motivational psychologist and former astrophysicist, he has spent the last decade researching, teaching, and implementing methods designed to grow peaceful communities and individuals using empirical scientific research that results in more cooperative compassionate, humble, and altruistic people. He now applies his experience to help businesses and educational institutions to cultivate positive workplaces and positive workplace culture to improve motivation, loyalty, satisfaction, retention, and productivity. We are so excited to welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Stephen James. Excellent. Thank you, Arliss and Diana. I'm happy to be here. Welcome, Stephen. We're so thrilled to be having you today and to learn more about self-actualization, societal norms, body positivity, everything that's going to come out of this conversation. So I'm going to kick us off with an easy question. What part of your body has been the easiest for you to love? So that would be, it's not a specific part of my body. It's my general stocky physique. Um, I have broad shoulders and generally a, a smaller waist. So in terms of what you consider to be just the male body type in a stereotypical sense, I tend to have a little bit more of that musculature. Um, and so that's been pretty easy for me to accept. And also my eyes. Um, I have really long eyelashes and, and people compliment me on them a lot. So that's an easy one because I already get that praise from other people. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Um, Stephen James. It's it's always easy to to love the things that we get positive feedback on uh, because we hear it all the time. And so it becomes easier and easier to believe. And we can see it ourselves, too. Um, and I wonder, um, you know, we hear eyes a lot and you specifically said eyelashes. Now, We've heard that from um, other individuals on our podcast, but they typically identify as female. So I would love to know for you, like, why do your eyelashes stand out to you? Uh, so my my eyelashes are really long, um, annoyingly so sometimes. I can tickle my own eyebrows sometimes because they stick up and kind of tickle me. So uh, that can be frustrating. But since they're so long, they're immediately noticeable when I first interact with people. And I've had many occasions where the first time I interact with people, they just they go, hi, I'm Steve. And they go, wow, you have such long eyelashes. I wish I had those. Now, that comment usually comes from from women that say like, oh, I wish I could have those as well. But it's just, it's a very noticeable characteristic. Um, and as you said, it's very easy for us to love the things that other people are publicly praising about us. Um, it's harder to love the things that people aren't publicly praising. Yeah, I hear that. It's it's definitely harder to praise the parts of us that don't receive as much public praise. Uh, but I'm curious, Stephen, when you shared that the stocky physique is a part of you that you really love, like, where does that come from? Well, and that's that's a big part of socialization. Um, and I think I'm probably going to speak a lot about this as we're going through. But we all know, I'm sure that 
especially if they're listeners of this podcast, you know that beauty standards are very artificial and contrived. Um, they don't really have any base, often don't have any basis in, in biology. Uh, but for the culture that we were brought up in, uh, that's kind of the stereotypical physique that women are attracted to men with is that type of stocky, broad-shouldered look. Um, and so again, it's easy to value the things that other people praise. Um, and so since the question was about, you know, what's the easiest to love, you can't separate what's the easiest from what is most stereotypically accepted, because um, that is what's going to get you the easiest feedback. Yeah, I love that insight um, that that it really does have to do with the ease of um, of the societal norms um, that when we have a part of our body that is culturally accepted or exemplary or anything like that like it comes when it comes to your eyes um, that it's something that is easier for us to say oh yeah that's that is an easy part for us to love it's also often we find the part of our body that we're least worried about or that we think about the least you know it's like oh yeah you know my butt is just fabulous my eyes are just fabulous my stocky physique is just fabulous <laughs> i like that yeah what part of your body has been the most challenging to love okay so and here here's where you run into the exact opposite it's the things that stereotypically are not accepted in society or even kind of looked down upon uh and for me the there's two of them, but the number one thing is my height. So I have a stocky physique, but I'm also below the national average on height. I'm five foot six and the average in the US is five foot nine, I believe. Yeah. So being three inches shorter, it's not that big of a deal in the, in the big scheme. It's you're still not in the, like the three sigma categorization, like way out there in the you know, five feet. But it's still something that I have found, particularly when I was younger, to be limiting. And this comes from kind of a place of external judgment. Uh, when it when I was younger and trying to date girls or, or try to go out with them. I felt like now, whether or not that's true or not, I felt like I was often dismissed out of hand because I would be the same height or shorter than another woman. And I've heard from a number of women as well that they have like a blanket rule. I won't date a guy that's shorter than me. Um, and so when you hear comments like that, they're very discouraging because you say, well, what about me as a person? Um, you're just dismissing me out of hand because I'm short um, and not even that short, just a little shorter. And that can be very um, debilitating almost um, uh, and makes you not want to get out there and, and interact with people. So that's one of the two. Yeah, I love that you talk about this. I have to admit that when I was younger, I was one of those women that had that blanket rule that I wouldn't date men that were shorter than me. Um, I'm five, nine, sometimes on a good day, five, nine and a half. So I'm quite tall for a woman. Um, and I'm just a much bigger woman too. And one of the things that I realized for myself was that I was so afraid of being judged by the person that I was with for being bigger than them 
and for it just ultimately not working because I was bigger than them. Um, and so what I realized was that my rule had nothing to do with the other person, which of course it never does, right? It had to do with the insecurities that I felt. Um, my husband is five, seven, five, seven and a half, I think something like that. So he is shorter than I am. Um, and he, he loves the size that I am obviously, or he wouldn't have married me. Um, and he celebrates that I wear heels, um, quite often, actually, I love wearing heels. So frequently I'm almost six foot tall and, and, you know, he's five, seven, five, seven and a half. And it's awesome. Um, because I feel that sense of acceptance. So I, I think that if people, and you can talk more to this, Dr. Um, Dr. Stephen James, I think that if people realize that when they have these exclusionary rules, that it's more about their insecurities and it is about the people they're excluding, um, there can be some healing and some transformation there. What do you think? I absolutely agree. Yeah, there is a comparison. That's the term that you used. And that's really where it comes down to is when you're talking about who you're going to date, you're thinking about you as a couple and how that's going to get judged externally outside of the two of you. Um, if you're going to be looked upon negatively for, if you're a shorter man and a taller woman, that the external view of that relationship is going to be like, why are you dating someone that's shorter than you? Like, you should have someone that's taller. And again, it's a judgment thing. So everybody feels like they're being judged and then nobody acts in any authentic way as a result. Um, you know, the guy thinks he's being judged for being shorter. Uh, and then that's discouraging to him. And the woman thinks that she needs to judge so that others won't judge her the way that they're going to. And you see this type of dynamic go on, not just with height, but with uh, any number of characteristics. And so the, just the end result is nobody's being real and authentic, um, which detracts from your ability to really gain the self-confidence and self-actualization that you need from being comfortable with yourself. I love that. And I love that um, this discussion so far has, has kind of, touched upon uh, male and female and, you know, the masculinity and femininity and these constructs of what our societal expectation of both of those is. And I was reading a book that I thought was really interesting. I want to say it was by Brene Brown, but I read a lot of books. I don't <laughs> always remember where I got stuff from. I'll just be honest about that. Um, and one of the things that, she, that was said in the book that I thought was really profound was that sometimes we as women in the expectations that we put on other on men to be strong, to be tough, to be taller, to be this sort of thing is another way in which we are reinforcing standards about male and female and who's supposed to be what that by setting an ex expectation that our husband always takes out the trash or setting an expectation that um, the man always does this thing. It is another way that we are feeding into societal norms and the expectation. And I love what you're saying about how when we are doing this, when we're filling and fitting into the mold, we're not acting authentically. We're not being ourselves. We are moving ourselves away from self-actualization in service of societal complacency. Yes, that's that's right. They are they are absolutely in effect opposite directions to take your your understanding, your self-esteem, your values. 
they are conformity to social norms and self-actualization are inherently in opposition with each other. You cannot do both at the same time. I caveat that by saying that doesn't mean that if you, if there's a societal norm to which is intrinsically authentic to you, that doesn't mean that you need to be countercultural and do the opposite. It might actually resonate with you personally and it might be intrinsic, but if you're doing it out of judgment and conformity, it's inherently then not intrinsic and it's not going to lead you toward having self-understanding. Yeah. Oh, I should say also, my, my wife is from China and Chinese gender roles are, are a little backward in terms of what we're saying. And by backward, I mean... They are akin to what it might have been in the U.S. in the 1970s or 80s in terms of what expectations are for men and women. Uh, and so they are slowly progressing forward with the way that they're developing. But many people in China still hold on to a lot of things that we would today um, progressively say are kind of uh, arcane and 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 unnecessary now. So when I got married to my wife, she actually said this something similar to you, Arliss, uh, in, in the reverse ways. She wouldn't wear heels when we first met, uh, when we first got married. And I didn't know this until years later that she stopped wearing heels when we went out to parties and such, because she thought it would make me uncomfortable for her being taller than I was. Uh, cause she's just a little bit shorter than I was. And I said, I don't care that's fine. Go ahead. Why, why would I care that that's the case? And she's like, really, it doesn't bother you. And because in China, that's still a very big deal um, to be, to have your wife be shorter than you are. Yeah. And I imagine that even culturally that comes from a place of wanting you to save face. So it's a way of, um, of her doing something in compassion or kindness to you in her mind. But again, is, is coming from this place of a societal construct. And I love that you shared, um, share this example. I'd love to hear a little bit more cause I'm, I'm not too familiar with, um, with that kind of difference between Chinese and American culture. Yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't say, so face is a, a huge uh, aspect of Chinese culture, much more than it is obviously in the U.S., which really doesn't actually have that much of a, a use for it when you're talking about, we're here in Hawaii, so we have a little bit more familiarity with it, but on the mainland, it's not really a thing. So when you're talking about face, it's very important in terms of, and we use face in, in a way that, that we say is just an Eastern thing, but again, it's it's Wait, hold on. Um, can you share what you mean when you say face? Because there may be some listeners who don't know what, what we're talking about as we talk about saving face. Yes, of course. So saving face has to do with uh, a group identity. Uh, we in the U.S. are the single most individualistic country in the world by, by a, a considerable measure when you look at certain metrics for it. In Eastern cultures, they are they have a collectivist identity, which means that they identify themselves, their personal identity as part of a group. And being part of a group means that you need to protect the, the public face, the public view of your group. So that could be your family. It could be your job, your company, anything like that. But it's incredibly important that you as a cog or, or a part of that group identity is constantly protecting 
the public view of the larger organization or the family. And so that, that in effect then causes a lot of conformity and expectations in terms of social norms, even more than in the West sometimes. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit about that. I think it's it's really fascinating to see how those are those are different and and um, they both. It comes from a place of care, this concept of saving face, but at the same time, it can brush up against some of the societal norms, especially as we're breaking through them. Uh, you know, yeah. like how do we how do we protect and honor the group at the same time that we set new standards for the group? Yes, uh, and in China that that thing about saving face and protecting the group becomes even more uh, understandable and visible because of the way people interact in China. There's a tendency, this is changing, but there's a tendency for Chinese people to be very blunt with strangers. So it's not uncommon for someone to walk up to someone they don't know and say, why are you so fat? To someone they don't know. Like, and they say, do you exercise enough? And just have, try to have that public conversation. And so you're like, oh man, you know, to us, that would be, why would you go up? That's really rude to come up and say that to someone, but it's not uncommon or, or even things they have very, uh, they have uh, skin standards in China, which about being very pale uh, is considered more beautiful. And if you just came back from the beach and have a tan, strangers will walk up and say, why are you so dark? Uh, and it's, it's, it's a very different way of having to interact with people and having to deal with that because it's abrasive, um, and difficult. You say that. And I think about my dad <laughs> because like I'd come back from the beach and I'd be, I'd have a tan or whatever. And he'd be like, why are you so dark? And I would just say, this is my natural color, dad. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally hear you on, um, and I, I thank you for those examples. I think it really helps people who may be less familiar with, um, with this change in con in, in culture, this cultural contrast. I think it's, that's a really high value. So thank you for sharing that. I would love to know um, from you, Dr. James, what is a self-care or a self-love practice that you implement in your life? Uh, so I try to have a couple of diverse activities that I do for self-care. Uh, one of them is exercise. Uh, I try to I try to keep a good exercise regimen. Uh, some, some months is better than others. But the reason that I ha try to keep a good exercise regimen isn't for a particular goal. Uh, I'm not trying to get to a weight. I'm not trying to build a certain amount of muscle. Uh, my goal in exercising is simply the act of doing it itself, um, the value of the action. And so I think, especially we're talking about body positivity here, it's important to note that when you're going to exercise, there is value in the doing, not just in the outcome. And that we should try to focus, especially when we talk about self-care, on the act itself and not reaching toward a goal. Because goals are hard to, to reach. And they can even be, simply by having a goal can sometimes be discouraging. When we think we need to force ourselves to do something, but if we can find joy in the action, then it feels good to just do it. And that's why I try to exercise as much as I can. Um, so that's one of them. And then uh, I, oh, no, go, please, Aras. Well, what I find really interesting in your description is that you said 
I'm not looking to get to a certain weight or build a certain amount of muscle. And what I think is fascinating about that and really stands more unique compared to the other guests that we've had on is you're clearly not talking about exercising for weight loss. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Um, and I think that most people um, consider when they think of exercise, they might t- make that correlation that it's for weight loss. Um, and I think it's really important for our listeners to hear that like exercise can mean so many different things and, and, and be supporting so many different things. And so you talked about it a little bit about why you've chosen exercise and, and the importance of the joy of doing things, but I'd love for you to dive deeper into that so that our listeners can get a little bit of a different perspective. Okay. Yes. This is a very important concept when we're talking about self-actualization. So it always comes back around. It always comes back to self-worth and self-actualization. You can't get away from it. The more, the more we attach our happiness, the more we attach our fulfillment to things that we don't already have. When we reach out in the future and say, I'm going to be happy once I reach this weight, I'm going to be happy after I graduate with my degree in this. I'm going to be happy after I have enough money to to buy a house. You are inherently deciding, choosing to say, I'm not going to be happy right now. And so the further out you push your happiness into the goals, goals are good. Goals are very important to pursue. But when we attach our happiness to them, then we're inherently going to make ourselves unhappy in the present. And so when you do an activity, no matter what the activity is, it doesn't matter if you're doing laundry and the dishes, which I mean, a lot of us struggle with with enjoying. But if you can find joy in the doing of daily mundane tasks, then you're going to find greater happiness and fulfillment because you're bringing that happiness into where you are. Uh, And that is going to boost up your sense of confidence and your sense of self-worth. And it's going to allow you to engage more authentically with who you are. And then when it does come time to pursue the goals that you do want, because maybe you do want to lose some weight or you want to build muscle or tone up or whatever it is, then that makes that goal more easily because you already enjoy the process of getting there. Um, So when you choose your exercise regime, you should find something that you enjoy doing. Because if you go, oh, man, I got to go to the gym again then that's the wrong place for you to be. I like that. And I'm curious, I know that it sounds like to you, the way that you really see things, though, your worldview has been shaped by this concept of self-worth and self-actualization. And I'm curious, where did that come from? Like, what what's the reason that self-worth, self-actualization for you is so important? So I, I, as you read in my credentials at the beginning, I used to be an astrophysicist and I used to be an Air Force officer. And that took me in, in a very different direction from what I am now. Uh, and I was at the time very much driven by the things we were talking about, conformity, social norms, expectations, and things like that. And I was quite successful within that restricted bubble that I was in. Um, I was doing some really crazy cool stuff with NASA and the Air Force and working on satellite programs. And it was an exciting job. And I went through a series of personal tragedies uh, in my life where um, my niece, who was two years old, died of an inexplicable illness. 
Uh, and then my brother died a year later after that. And I took a lot of responsibility for his death um, after him grieving with the loss of his daughter. And then my nephews, uh, his two sons were looking for someone to blame. And I was blaming myself at the same time. They were young um, and they kind of put a lot of that onto me and stopped talking to me. And then a few months later, my best friend since childhood was killed in a car accident. Um, and then a week after that, I was reassigned to Maui from the East Coast US in the Air Force. And I had to leave what family I had left and go into a very different culture because outer island Hawaii is very different than, than you know, main, mainland East Coast, um, very different culture. So I was pretty isolated and I lost all of my personality. Uh, everything that I was, everything that I valued, everything I was working for kind of fell away in an instant. And I was forced to have to rebuild a whole self. Um, this is something called post-traumatic growth. And it's, it's a clinical thing. And we all know we gain through struggle. Um, and we, we prosper when we come out the other side of things. But there's a clinical term and it's well studied. And I was interested in understanding what had happened to me because after I had gone through that process, I was still the scientist and I wanted to understand what happened to me. Uh, and I started studying it professionally and, and going back to school for my PhD in psychology. And I was interested in, can you dissect this process? Because it's got to be a process, right? It can't just be random happenstance, especially if there's a term for it, post-traumatic growth. So could we break that down and say, all right, what is it that makes people feel fulfilled? Because what I can tell you is I thought I was happy when I was in the Air Force because I had accolades and I was focused on achieving things for the future. I was going to be a general in the Air Force and, and find out all about the secret alien spaceships the Air Force was hiding and all of those great things. Um, sadly, no aliens. That was a disappointment. But uh, all of that ended up making me unhappy after I had this change. And I looked at that same direction in my life and I said, wait, you want me to become a general by working 14 hours a day, six days a week at all these things everybody's telling me I need to go do. And if I do that, I can be as stressed out and anxiety stricken as that general guy who's over top of me. That's the life that I was pursuing. Uh, that's crazy. And so I left that entirely behind and I ended up practicing Buddhism, which I've been doing for uh, many, many years now. and. Uh, just finding a more fulfilling intrinsic life that that drives me forward. Um, and when I say intrinsic, uh, intrinsic drives, intrinsic motivations, it's those couple of things that uniquely each of us is willing to invest our free time into. We're willing to stay up till three o'clock in the morning doing this project uh, and lose sleep just because we're so into it and we want to like see it through to the end. We all have intrinsic drives towards certain things. And those intrinsic drives lead us to being more self-actualized and even more self-transcendent. And so my whole career now is based on helping people achieve that same type of growth uh, and find that fulfillment and happiness that I was able to find, but I don't want them to have to go through the trauma. And when you talk about one of, one of the aspects is overcoming these or understanding these social norms and these conformities to things that are really quite arbitrary because you have to get rid of them so you can really engage with that internal self. That's awesome. And I, I feel like this ties right into what 
what you offer now, um, you know, talking about your journey. So what is it that you offer now? Tell us about your business and, um, and, and give some information so that our listeners can know if, if they're a good fit for you um, and they can get in contact with you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, my business is my name. My business is humanity consulting. Uh, and so my title sounds a little crazy, like uh, peace culture and human flourishing consultant, but that's what it is. Uh, that's what I was just describing. It's really about raising people up and it's done in a very grounded scientific way. So this is all about breaking down the psychology of what we know today. We're in 2022. Uh, Freud is many, many, decades ago, uh, more than a hundred years ago, we're well past behavioralism. We know so much about what creates happy, fulfilled, kind, compassionate people, and what creates disconnected, isolated, greedy, narcissistic people. And, and how do we recognize those traits in ourselves? How do we recognize the negative traits in ourselves? And how do we recognize, um, how to raise up the, the better qualities uh, in, in our lives to make ourselves feel more prosperous and serene. And so when I work with individuals, I walk them through this process because most of us are used to thinking about humanity and our nature as something that's almost poetic or philosophical. And there's no real grounded process. So we, we reach for cliches that like our aunt told us when we were 12 about how humans work, um, you know, or, or we reach towards some sort of fringe ideas about how, how to connect with deeper connectivity and connection, fulfillment, spirituality is actually a very important thing for many people and important for flourishing. But there is a psychological process for how we figure out what that is. And so what I offer is the path that leads you toward the greatest growth to make you the most fulfilled, intrinsically driven person you are. And that's different for each person, but the process is the same. So I also take that then and try to work with groups because one of the things we've talked about is that you can't separate your self-worth, your self-actualization from the communities you're embedded. And so you can't just deal with you yourself. You also have to work on having a community that's going to support that growth. So I also work with organizations, um, schools, nonprofits, and businesses to help create those better cultures that are going to help uh, the members of those organizations flourish within them and be more motivated and driven. That is so powerful, so powerful and so transformative. And really, we need more people like you in the world <laughs> talking about these concepts. Um, they don't get taught. They don't, you know, they don't come up in conversation very much in, in normal conversation, maybe in your household. And we should all be joining your household somehow. But um, <laughs> yeah, go well, ahead. Uh to that. No, I act, this is, this is what I find when I actually do finally bring people in, if I'm doing a, a group class or one-on-one -on -one sessions and I start probing into these types of questions, the first thing you get is generally kind of a glazed look over people because they're not questions we tend to think about there. We, we are, and here's a cultural norm. We are driven in a society which says work, 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 efficiency, 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 you know, just be distracted as much as possible. And if you do have free time, then be distracted. Don't 
don't sit with any of the deeper questions about where should you be looking towards? What, who should you be? What is, what place should you be? Who's your community? What's your purpose? These type of questions are incredibly important for our growth as people, but we have a culture that encourages us to encourages us to not engage with those questions. So we have to take a step back and think about them. Um, but learning how to do that in a way that's productive can be challenging. Absolutely. So my question to you is when you find that you are disconnected from your body um, and not feeling that connection, how do you reconnect? What I would say is you need to get out and get out and feel good. Uh, so that, that sounds pretty simple, right? But it's, it's a little more complex in the sense that the human mind is driven to seek out safety and comfort zones. And if that means not going out uh, on the town, not going out to dinner or staying home, you know, I'm an introvert myself. So I love sitting at home on my video games and, and just snacking or watching a movie. But when we push ourselves to get out and actually interact in situations we're not accustomed to, that's actually part of what creates the connectivity with other people. And when it comes to our body, we want to get out and try to make ourselves feel good, make ourselves look good in a way that we feel good about ourselves. So get dressed up in the way that you think you look good and walk out the door and go to some place that usually you wouldn't go to because maybe you'd be too intimidated or too shy and go with a group of friends, a community that supports you and have a good time. Um, because when we're out in public and we feel good about ourselves in whatever way that is, that's when we're going to be able to reconnect with ourselves and reconnect with, or, or, and connect with new people that are out in the, in the, in the community and in the, the society. That's fantastic. I mean, it makes me want to go into my closet and pull out a ball gown and, and go to the grocery store. Um, Why not? One... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you? How does that inspire you, Diana? Well, you know, as we talk about, like, as we're talking about this, the thing that always comes up for me is that if I really had my way, I would spend all day naked. <laughs> <laughs> and like, of course, this is not like a is not a culturally accepted like societal norm. But I'm like, man, like, really, if I could just spend all day naked, like that would be the best. And I wish that like I could do that. But I also hear you, uh, Dr. Steven, when it comes to being an introvert, because I'm I'm also super introverted. And I think you're right that stepping outside of our comfort zone, putting ourselves in that place of uh, of connecting with the world, with what is around us is so important. And like you mentioned uh, in in the last question, when it comes to this paradigm of work, 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 fill all your time as much as you can with more stuff to do instead of really sitting and being, I think that moving ourselves outside of that comfort zone to not just work, 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 but to be and to be in those situations where we are challenged to grow, where we feel inspired to grow, I think is, is so powerful. 
Yes. Thank you. One of the things the, that we get, one of the things that we get from all of that is the sense that, oh, wait, this isn't so bad. And that's the purpose of getting out into situations that we would normally be uncomfortable with is we think our mind is very good at tricking us into thinking that whatever the scary situation is, is going to be extra scary. And so if we can take a step back and just push ourselves out there, get out the door, go do what we're slightly uncomfortable with, that's when we start to realize, hey, this isn't so bad. And not only is it not so bad, I'm kind of good at this. Uh, Even if it's just feeling comfortable with yourself out in public, that you can say, hey, you know what? This isn't so bad. I feel good about myself while I'm out here. But you never get the opportunity to feel that if you don't go out there. Yeah, one step forward at a time, right, Dr. James? Yes, yes, a little bit at a time. And we expand ourselves as we step outside of our comfort, then our comfort zone gets larger and larger. Yeah, and then the world, I would imagine, feels less scary. It does, because in the process of stepping outside, we are occasionally going to fail at what we do. Um, And the other thing we learn when we go, oh, this wasn't so bad, but you also go, this wasn't so bad that it didn't go perfectly. And so we get more adaptable to different situations. And so it becomes easier and easier to step outside the more we don't restrict ourselves. I love that you said you're going to fail. And, and I wouldn't normally say that. And I don't know that I really believe in failure unless like literally somebody like lays down on the ground and says, I'm never going to try anything ever again. And just stays there. I mean, like that, that might be failure. I'm not sure. But, um, but I love that you said that because it happens when we step outside of our comfort zone at some point we are going to experience something that doesn't feel comfortable, that doesn't feel good, where even if we've tried our best, it didn't work out for whatever reason. And that's okay. That's actually part of the process. It's not just part of the process. It's an expected part of the process, right? Yes. What I have found from my time as a teacher and instructor is students when we're learning, because life is about learning, life is about growth. Learning is a type of growth. And when I have students, the ones that always performed the poorest in courses are the ones that were afraid to fail. They're the ones that said, I'm going to wait until I can do this perfectly before I ever attempt to do anything at all. And when that happens, that means you're not learning along the way. And you're never going to get to that place where you can do it perfectly because you're so afraid of being perfect that you never actually get started. And this is true of life as a whole. The more we hold ourselves back because we're afraid of not doing it perfectly, the more we're never going to get started. Every failure is an expansion. Every failure is a growth. And the more we can grow, the more we can expand ourselves, the more we're going to be as a whole. I love that. So I'd love to hear, Dr. Stephen James, your insights on when we're facing these societal norms of perfectionism, of uh, shame or judgment around failure, when we're challenged with these uh, these beliefs or ideas that are put on us. And of course, then we go into this place where we want to protect ourselves. Um, 
what is it that we can do to move ourselves out of that place? There's a couple of things that we can do to help with that. One of them that I've talked about is community. There is this, I think there's kind of a belief in American culture that when you say, I have a high self-worth and I have a high self-confidence, that that means you're doing everything on your own. I'm this pillar standing on its own above everything else and everything else can come by. Everyone else can come and go, but I'm strong and resilient and I'm going to stand here. And that's just not simply how human beings work. We cannot separate out the community aspect and our connection to other people from that. And that's kind of been a recurring theme that we've been talking about here this whole time. One of the best ways to get us out of that is to just immerse ourselves in people that are going to be supportive and encouraging for whatever the thing is we're afraid to step out and do, whatever the thing is that's keeping us isolated and in our comfort zone, we need to then put ourselves around people that are going to be supportive. And this is a tough one, but if your community, and when I say community, that could be family, friends, it could be an academic environment, could be your professional environment, could be societal, right? Um, but generally, if we are in a place, a community that isn't being supportive of the things that we know we need to push ourselves for, well, then find a new community. Uh, that's, you know, those are not the group that's going to be there for you. That doesn't mean you have to abandon them, but they're not the ones that are going to be there for this. And so you should stop looking to them for the types of support that you need. Find the community that's going to help push you outside of where you're at by being encouraging and being a supportive network for you. That's what's going to get you to be the fullest person you can be. I love that. I love the leaning on our community because uh, I think a lot of times when we are facing perfectionism or self-judgment, our tendency can be to self-isolate, to not create, to not be ourselves. So I love that. Do you have any final closing thoughts for us today that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Uh Yeah, I think one of the things we've been going around with, we just talked about it again, is this aspect of community and self-worth. And so I just want to reiterate that if you are a person that is feeling a lot of self-judgment and perfectionism, those two things tend to go hand in hand with each other. Uh, those of us that feel most afraid of judgment are also the ones that tend to be the most perfectionist in our attitudes towards doing things. Uh, you can step outside of that. We are, we are always as much as we've always been. So by that, I mean, our understanding of ourselves is subjective. We know who we are today and we know who we've been in the past. There's a tendency for all of us to define ourselves and limit ourselves based on what those people have been. So the worst person, and I'm going to give you counter advice to what many others would say, the person that knows you the least is probably yourself. There's the person that knows you the least because you only know the person you've been. This is the reason why we have mentors and teachers and people we look up to that can see what we're capable of being, 
what we're capable of doing, what we're capable of achieving. Um, and that's also true when it comes to self-acceptance. We need to look to the people outside of ourselves. If we're struggling with our own self-acceptance and judgment and perfectionism, then we're terrible at judging ourselves. We're terrible at knowing what's best for us or what we're capable of being. So look to the people around you that you do respect, that are mentors, that are family, that, that have a good sense of you. And trust that when they tell you, you can be more and you can do this and you can accept yourself, that they're not actually lying to you, that they're telling you the truth. It's just that you can't see yourself clearly. That is huge. That is huge. Wow. I just had my mind blown just a little bit. I'm not really sure what to say about that right now. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephen James, for being a guest with us today. It's been amazing having you. For our listeners, if you're interested in getting in contact with Dr. Stephen James, we're going to put all of his information um, into the post so that you can reach out to him. He's incredible and just such a wealth of knowledge in this area. We appreciate you sharing your expertise and wisdom with us today. Thank you, Dr. Stephen James. Thank you. This has been a really fun conversation. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Stephen James. We look forward to hearing more from you. Uh, you've really opened our eyes to the power of community. I loved what you'd said about uh, the person that knows us the least is ourself. I think that's a really profound and beautiful idea. And I, th I thank you for gracing us and the Body Positivity Podcast with your presence, with your insight and your knowledge. Thank you. Great. Thank you all to our listeners for joining us today. And we will be back next time with another amazing guest. It's Diana and Arliss signing off from the Body Positivity Podcast. Bye.